Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of the Repro Film Podcast, that time of the month where our team drops another Repro periodical straight to your inbox. P.S. Head to reprofilm.org if you haven't subscribed, which includes links to the latest podcast episode, links to our featured short film of the month, articles we're reading right now, and organizations you need to be supporting in the ongoing fight for reproductive autonomy. I'm your host, Asha Dyer, and while I'm not quite in holiday mode just yet, our featured short film this month has got me thinking about family, support systems, awkward parental conversations, and how repro rights and healthcare is actually inextricably linked to all of that. The short film we're excited to present in December is called La Macana, written and directed by Maria Mayaya. The film follows recently divorced Carmen and Franco, who work through their fervent relationship to support their daughter, Sol, when she gets her period for the first time. Just reading that sentence aloud immediately gives me flashbacks to when I first got my period and oof, it was rough. My parents are so loving and supportive, but the taboos around menstruation and anything quote-unquote female-related were so tangible that my dad would literally change the channel whenever one of those ads came on TV where you'd see the blue liquid being poured onto a pad or a tampon. You know exactly which ones I'm talking about, which is why I loved Maria's film so much. The anxiety and stress Saul is feeling is so real and very relatable, But what unfolds is something so beautiful and, frankly, refreshing. The way we see her dad, who clearly has a tense relationship with his ex-wife, step up to the plate and be there for his daughter when she gets her period, knowing how embarrassed she is feeling, is the kind of narrative that I hope inspires meaningful conversations in families everywhere. So to head into the holidays, we wanted to show this type of repro conversation in a family setting, giving us hope that issues like menstruation don't have to be so taboo and fraught with gender negatives and connotations when it comes to a teen going through something so pivotal in their lives. I was excited to talk about all of this with Maria, who explained the significance of portraying this scenario in a Latino family, how the script was largely biographical, and what she wanted to say in terms of a father's role when his child begins menstruating. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, Maria. Um, It's just lovely to be speaking with you today and talking about your film. Let's start with your background. Can you tell me about your path into filmmaking and any barriers you may have faced along the way? Yeah, sure. Um, So I am originally from Bolivia um, and I moved to the U.S. when I graduated high school thinking that I wanted to be in theater. So I moved to Austin, Texas, where I currently live and studied theater first. Um, and was told the big lie. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was told that like there was a popping theater community in San Francisco. And I didn't want to move to New York because I'm from Bolivia, which is a small, intimate third world country. And New York just felt too big. So San Francisco felt like a good middle ground. Um, and I moved to San Francisco and did not discover that popping theater community that people were talking oh, about. No. <laughs> But I discovered film. Um, there's There was a beautiful little film co-op there at the time um, called Scary Cow, which is a terrible name for a film co-op. I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the gist of it was that they met quarterly for pitch meetings. So if you could pitch an idea and put a team together, then you could make a movie. 
So I kind of came up in that world through work trade and first started PAing on a couple of jobs, um, going doing some scripty work, some first ADing. I made my first short film way too soon, had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but that's how we learn, right? Exactly, you know, trial by trial by fire. And eventually started getting producing jobs through that. So eventually I just met enough people that were like, hey, you know, you you're kind of good at this. You got a knack for it. So I got into the producing world from like a commercial corporate side of it. Uh, I'm a writer and director by trade, a storyteller, (laughs) uh, as I was in theater and otherwise. So I'm always trying to work on passion projects on the side. We're going to talk about hurdles. I guess the bigger one would be that in the same way that I don't like New York, I don't like L.A. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, But it's for the the exact opposite reasons. You know, it feels like very spread out and... Mm. Um, so I'm, I've always been kind of industry adjacent in a way. And even though I've had luck, um, without a former formal education in film, kind of like create opening my own doors for myself, um, making that jump to like narrative still feels a little bit hard, right? Like I kind of live in the, in the indie, in the indie world, which is a beautiful world to live in. So I'm not mad. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's inspiring for other filmmakers to hear that you don't have to live in one particular city. You can you know, pursue your passion in other cities and finding that community. So that's really great to hear. And yeah. I think a lot of filmmakers will will get a lot out of that and feel, okay, I'm not alone. I don't have to just move to New York or just LA. So I think that's really important to share. How did you come up with the idea for La Macana and when was it made? Like, tell us about when you filmed it, where you wrote it. Yeah, so La Macana is very autobiographical. <laughs> so at some point I realized that I love working with kids like kids and teenagers a young population I just kind of get them I understand them even though I don't have any kids of my own and I feel like I have a good knack for writing for them um in a way that they understand the content and they can relate to it you know so it's easier for them to like convey the emotion Mm. um and I've written a few different ones and the you know reproductive issues are an ongoing problem in our country nonstop. So um, I think at one point I was talking to a friend and we were just discussing like having our first periods when it happens, you know, haha. and I was remembering that. And it made me think a lot about my dad because my dad was actually great in that area. And he is, you know, a very, a very Bolivian conservative Catholic man. So wow. he was lacking in a lot of other areas. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I mentioned at one point, like my, when he signed my sex ed slip, he wouldn't even make eye contact with me, you know, he oh my gosh. <laughs> I like put it in front of him and he like looked at it. I saw him go pale. Um, and then he signed it and just like gave it to me and waited for me to leave, you know, which I did quickly. <laughs> I was happy to have that signature. Um, but when I got my period, my parents were freshly divorced. Um, and you know, like I spent the weekends with my dad, I was with my mom during the week and I was just like, full of dread and mortified of having to go spend the weekend with my dad because we never really talked about that or anything, you know, and he really went out of his way to make sure that I was comfortable, you know, Um, and my mom, which they had a lot of friction at the time, you know, but she was like, he knows about periods, I get a period, you know, your sister, your older sister gets a period, like he knows, you know, and I was like, I know, but I just don't want to have to talk about it with him. Yeah, Um, but he did, he went out of his way, he was wonderful. And in talking and sharing that story with friends, I was like, man, dads don't get enough credit, you know, 
they have mm. to participate in that. Like it becomes a part of their life as well when they are raising girls. <laughs> totally. And yeah, so I just wanted to make that film, you know, kind of as an ode to mine, a tribute to my dad and the relationship we built from that. I love the nuance of who he is as, you know, conservative Catholic man, but also really lent into his role as a father to you. And, and I think that's really lovely. And there is something so relatable and so wholesome and sweet about the relationship with the dad and soul in the film. And and so you explained, you know, how this went down with your family. Why did you want to highlight this on film, especially? Because it, de- it definitely does feel like, although this is a film about a girl getting a period for the first time, it really does um, uplift the father's role in this and and show other dads like, hey, this is something that you could be to your child when they menstruate for the first time. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think the film is my medium of communication, right? Um, and I think that it's a good way of, like, I've shared it with a bunch of dads that I know already, you know, and I've had like dads at film festivals come up to me and be like, I love that. That was beautiful. Oh, I really wow. that. We always say that like feminism is for everyone and that it's available to both. Everybody needs it. And I think it's important to just like give them that platform in a way when it comes to like reproductive issues, because reproductive issues are still so stigmatized and so hush hush across culture. Yes. So presenting it in a way that's like, it's a short film that isn't like crass, you know, or gory or anything. It just kind of goes through like, mm. the matter of fact thing that we all go through. Um, and I do think it's like a family film, you know, it's something that like a dad could watch with his daughter and it wouldn't be like horrifying or embarrassing in any way. So I like the idea of having that tool out there, you know, that they can use to communicate um, for the kids as much as for the for the parents. Yeah, I, I love hearing that so many dads have come up to you at film festival screenings and received it so well. So that's really exciting to hear. And yeah, it just proves that film really is a powerful medium to, you know, instill new ideas and challenge our way of thinking about something that is still so taboo in 2022. It's it's crazy. So yeah, kudos to you for doing that. It, it's been fun to have them come up to me because there's just a fun in like seeing a pride in a dad's eyes, you know, like somebody who relates to the story, you know, and is like just proud of being like a father in a, a similar way. You know, I like seeing that <laughs> being on the receiving end of that energy yeah and I think that chips away at stigma a little bit to make them feel like you're not on this island you're just like all the regular dads that are you know going through this scenario with if they have a daughter as well so yeah that's really beautiful and you know when we see discussion about menstruational periods it's usually confined to being a quote-unquote woman's issue but in fact it's so much more than that as you've shown this is for many people, first, it's a family issue. I mean, most teenagers are part of a family or family unit in some way when they menstruate for the first time. So how did this play out in your family in terms of, you know, the dynamic and, and feeling hesitant to share it and also your parents going through a divorce? So that dynamic as well, um, how did you navigate that? I mean, I was such a snotty kid. <laughs> yeah, so I, I put a, I like, fought tooth and nail to like not have to have that conversation with my dad. And in the end, I actually don't think we ever had the conversation much like in the film. There was just the acknowledgement, you know, where I was like, thank you for today. (laughs) And, And he was like, you're welcome. And after that, like I did process it more with my mom. Actually, I was like, you were right. You know, we're good. Mm. I can still go spend weekends with dad. (laughs) I was like, that's not going to be a problem anymore. I love that he, in the film, he made it about, well, what are the things I can do? I can make her favorite 
rice and chicken dish. I can make sure the bathroom's stocked up. Like he didn't kind of force what his role had to be. He just knew his area where he was able to help her out and it just kind of flowed really well. So I, I, I love that. I thought it was really poignant. Totally. And even just like the simple dynamic of just showing him cooking, you know, like just cooking you know, for his daughter and it's just no big deal. I don't think that at any moment, like when he's going through these things, you like one of those weird things when we talk about um reproductive issues especially with like men and their role and like feminist mm. there's this idea that it's emasculating to participate you know um so i really wanted to make a point to be like it's not like you know right this is just the role it is what it is yeah yes very important point i love that but i'd love to hear reactions from especially Latino audiences can you share more about this whether it's your own family or people you know or just the community in general so far oh for sure yeah this has been it's been a hit with the has your dad seen it actually that's the question I should be asking. yeah I did send it to my dad he got a huge laugh out of it you know he really oh. loved it. yeah because it, it, it's happened so long ago now you know that now we right. have like a totally different dynamic and we're way more chummy than we used to be so yeah my dad really loves the film particularly for Latinos of divorced parents, they were like, oh man, yes, you know, that <laughs> that conversation is so tough, you know, having to have it. Um, you, yeah, so there's been a lot of like support for it. And I think that there's also, there's something about the banter that feels very familiar to the Latinx community, you know, that just like back and forth and just kind of getting spicy really quick <laughs> with each other, you know, that everybody was able to like relate to that and enjoy it. Although it is 2022, we and on we're on the precipice of 2023. So big year ahead. I don't know how many changes are coming, but keeping my fingers crossed that there, there'll be good ones. But we still have a lot of work to do to dismantle menstrual stigma. Why do you think it is still so taboo, especially in different cultures? There's still that pushback or, you know, the wanting to not make eye contact and acknowledge um, the elephant in the room kind of thing. Yeah, it's so tough. Like, why is it taboo? I think that in general, <laughs> the the fact that it's reproductive and menstruation and stuff like that, and people are so, mm. we live in a culture where it's taboo to talk about it because it is sexualized, right? Right. Um, and I think that through across cultures, definitely in Latin culture, when a girl is becoming a woman, you know, there's this like sexualization attached to it that people are uncomfortable with. There's so many problems with that, you know, with like child abuse and this and that, that people like try to really like steer away from it and they don't want to see it. You know, it's like a girl or whatever turning into a woman is what we call it, you know, but in the reality, it's just like a human bodily function. Um, and I think that if we talk about it more, it destigmatizes it. It takes away that like danger and risk around it, right? We have to talk about these things like they're normal, you know, like like it, like anything else that we that we experience and go through. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're living in a moment where reproductive rights and health are under attack in America. We're going backwards, even, and it's really interesting to see. Side note: the the green wave movement that's happening across Latin America. So it's like that's moving up north. And it's almost like that is now the blueprint for what we in America should be doing. Let's follow their lead because they know what it's like to not just change the law, but change culture and change hearts and minds and then the policies and then the social attitude would follow. So it's it's really interesting to be in this moment in America. How do you hope your film and your career as a filmmaker will play a role in this conversation to push back against the tide? You know, you mentioned filmmaking is your medium of communication. So what what's the role of 
you as a director and, and La Macana especially? I mean, for La Macana, what I want is for people to feel comfortable and come together. I was trying to make a movie that doesn't have um, any controversy attached to it. It's like the most simple, matter of fact, intimate story between a father and his daughter um, trying to navigate that. And I wanted people to be able to approach it without any trepidations or fear, which I think that it's doing successfully. Um, and as a filmmaker, I do like writing for that age range, as I mentioned before. Um, and I think one of the things that I want to do is just remind adults and empower teenagers, you know, to understand like how smart they are and how vulnerable they are, you know, and how I feel, I feel especially like as people get older, they take for granted like that, you know, kids aren't there yet or they're too young too, you know, but they're so intuitive um, and they experience things so, so deeply um, that they just need to be like let in, you know, to all of this, like all of these different processes and conflicts that we go through, especially in family dynamics. And for me, it's everything. It's not just reproductive, but it's, it's grief, you know, and trying to hide things like grieving from children, you know, or doing it yourself instead of showing it. It's finances, it's anxiety, it's stress, like it's all of these things, you know, and so often than not, we just try to cut them out of those conversations instead of like bringing them in, you know, which I think really strengthens the family unit and makes them stronger people. It, it informs how they interact with the world. And it definitely normalizes things too. I was just having a conversation with my five-year-old son about grief because we had an extended family member pass away recently and and it was a challenge to me to explain it but I thought I love this opportunity because I want him just to see his mind work and how he understands it and in the next moment he's you know off playing but it's like these are the important moments that we have to to teach them and equip them in ways that they can handle such big topics so kudos to you I think that's really really beautifully and well said and in you know showing these stories that that are from a teen or child's perspective what do you hope men and dads especially will learn and take away from watching your film? How can this film be a way to encourage allyship? Last month, our theme was about male allyship. And I think there's definitely some of that in, in La Macana as well. So how do you hope it can be a way to um, encourage that? Well, I hope that when they see it, they like it lands in them as something that is normal, right? <laughs> I know that the second, even when they hear when people hear the log line, I can feel this like, oh, Oh, you know, What's gonna like, happen? You're, you made a film about what am I going to see somebody getting their period, you know, like you can already feel that. And I, I hope that through the experience of watching it, they just it lands in a way that feels normal and safe, um, that respects them, you know, like treats the role with respect and mutual, you know, mutual respect really understands like the way that both perspectives, the way that a child would look at them through it, you know and that they can take that with them. Amazing. So what's the project you're working on next and how can people follow you? Are you allowed to share what you're working on? Tell us how yeah. you can uh, follow all things Maria. I have uh, I have a couple of different projects that are in different stages of development, but the next one that I'm working on right now, actually I'm in a part of a lab um, for a lab called Open Screenplay where we're developing these shorts. And this one is called Juana Pelos. <laughs> Um, Harry Juana is what that translates to. And it's about an 11 year old girl who goes back to school and all of the kids have started shaving, but her, you know, it's like an oh. Latina girl and she's just getting destroyed, like oh. about for being Harry. And it's kind of like 
her dynamic with her mom because her mom thinks she's too young to shave, you know, and how like her sister tries to convince the mom and help her. So it's three generations of Latina women talking about, you know, how hairy we are and how we deal with it as part of society, basically. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to watch that because it feels like that was my story as an Indian woman. And I wasn't allowed to shave when all my friends were allowed to shave. And I had like hairy legs and it was mortifying. It was so brutal. I, I know. It was brutal. <laughs> I went through that as well. So hard. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like any ethnic people are just like, yes, I need to see this. This is going to be very cathartic for me. I can't wait to see it. So, and where can people follow you on social media? Where can we keep in touch? Um, I'm on Instagram at Mmeaya, M-M-E-A-L-L-A, and on Twitter at Maria underscore Maya, M-E-A-L-L-A. <laughs> well, you know what to do. Do all the things, follow, subscribe, and keep in touch. And Maria, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I'm very excited for people to be watching this film during December. It's a family film. It's, it's you know, it's something so beautiful and so normal. And so thank you for making it and for sharing some of your own personal story on on screen as well yeah thank you so much it was a joy to participate in this podcast be sure to watch la macana at reprofilm.org during the month of december and share this film with parents families and teens during the holidays who knows perhaps it will provide some inspiration or empowerment as to how to have potentially difficult or embarrassing conversations with love and respect Well, we did it. We just finished recording a whole year's worth of the Repro Film Podcast, and it has been such a pleasure presenting all these fabulous interviews with you. And we are not slowing down anytime soon. We have some brilliant themes, films, and conversations planned for 2023, which we're already working on. Be sure to tell all your friends to subscribe at reprofilm.org to make sure you never miss an episode. The Repro Film Podcast is executive produced by Mama Film, Hosted and produced by me, Asha Dyer, edited by Kylie Brown, with original music by Paris Jane and Maurice Anthony. The periodical is programmed by Neha Aziz and written by Emily Christensen. Alex Scambardi is our social media manager, and Rebecca Sosa is our distribution and impact strategist. You can find us on social media at Reprofilm on Instagram and at Reprofilmfest on Twitter. I look forward to bringing you our next conversation in 2023. What? Happy holidays, everyone. Stay safe. Bye for now.